0: The Gospel of John, chapter 19. And last Sunday we started a new series entitled, Get Your House in Order. So I'll be teaching from the scriptures from now up through the end of November on different ways that we are called by God to get our homes, our estates in order. And at the end of this series, there are going to be some practical things we're going to encourage you to do uh, in order to follow up on these messages. And I'll be reaching out to many of my friends in this church who are part of the finance world and the legal world uh, to help put some things together. Maybe in January for a couple of Sunday mornings in between uh, ATI when we start back up, just, just to be able to have some of our professionals come and speak to you on matters that I'm just going to touch the surface of these next couple of weeks Um, we want to equip you we want to help you Uh, we want to see your posterity blessed the Bible says that I've never seen the righteous forsaken nor their seed begging bread we want to make sure that your seed is taken care of but the time to do it is now All we have is right now. So let's use our time wisely. Uh, Let me pray. Father, thank you for this opportunity to talk, to teach, to preach from your word. Thank you that your word encompasses everything. Thank you, Lord, that not only does your word encompass everything, but you have given us everything we need. For life and godliness. Thank you God. For being not only a savior of our souls. But the savior of all of us. You're a holistic savior. You want us to love you with mind, body, soul and strength. And Lord I thank you that you not only care about where we will spend eternity. But you also care about how we will leave the earth. And how we will leave things for our family and for our children. Help us to be good stewards the things that we're going to be exposed to, some of us for the first time, some of us, Lord, are going to be reminded of these things and encouraged. Whatever the case, thank you that you address these things in a very practical and sound way. Holy Spirit, help me today to teach. Help your people to hear. Help all of us to put it into practice, for we ask all of this in the name that is above every name, the name of Jesus, amen. Yesterday, I had the privilege of speaking at a funeral of one of our members, our former member's mother, Casilda Harrison, who's married to uh, my spiritual son, Cleon. Her mother passed away earlier this month, and she was laid to rest yesterday. And Casilda asked if I would come and be one of the speakers who would Uh, give words of comfort. Her husband, Cleon, gave the eulogy. and So I was on the platform with other ministers and I looked out and I saw some of the Strong Tower people there also in support of the Harrisons. And God had put on my soul a scripture to share in order to bring comfort to the family. And that scripture came from Psalm 116 verse 15 where it says precious In the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Have you ever heard that passage before? Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. And as you look at that passage, it's kind of one of those upside down things of the kingdom. Because when one of our loved ones pass away, it's usually a very painful experience. Uh, We mourn, we grieve, we hope. Even though we know the Lord, and if they know the Lord, we know where they are, but it still hurts. When Jesus went up to the tomb of Lazarus to perform a miracle that no one was expecting, which was to bring him back to life, he still wept. Jesus wept, even though he knew about the hope of the resurrection that was about to come. So when we think about death being precious for a saint, how can it be precious? When we're feeling so much pain and agony from their departure. Well, the passage says, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Which means we need to look at death through the eyes of God. In order to see how precious this moment is, even though it's also very painful. Because here's why the death of a saint is precious. The death of a saint is precious. Because the death of Jesus was perfect. Jesus' perfect death is what makes a sinner a saint in the first place. And had Jesus not given his life on the cross and resurrected, we would be hopeless. But because of his perfect sacrifice... We can grieve with hope. We can grieve well, and we can say, Man, although this hurts, this is a precious moment because of what Jesus purchased for this saint. And as a matter of fact, this saint is now in the presence of God, walking on streets of gold, living in his or her mansion. Uh, being able to walk by the crystal sea, being in the presence of Jesus and being healed. All of these things are precious if we look at them through the eyes of God because earth knows no sorrow that heaven cannot heal. So as I did my best to communicate that, I then slipped into the traditional preacher mode and I said to all those in attendance... That now is the time for you to get your house in order. Yeah. Because death is the destiny of every man. And the living should take this to heart. So we need to get our houses in order. When? Not tomorrow because tomorrow is not promised. Now. We need to think of these things now. We need to be active now. Because to get your house in order means to arrange your spiritual, relational, financial, and material assets in such a way before you die that it benefits your loved ones after you die. To not prepare for your death is foolish. To not prepare your family for your death is selfish. So if we don't take care of our... Assets, our resources in a manageable, uh, practical way, then that is a selfish act on our behalf. And we want our people, our family, our friends to go on well after we have gone on to glory. As I spoke with my mother yesterday, she always asks me on Saturdays, What are you preaching tomorrow? So I give her a synopsis of my sermon. And so I started telling her about what I'm talking about today, and she went on and on about what her deceased husband, my dad, did before he died to set his estate in order so that she could still benefit from that decision 21 years later, 20 years later. And so my dad left a good example for me, and I pray that what we see today in Jesus that he would leave a great example for all of us. So in John chapter 19, I'll begin reading at verse 23. I gave you time to find it. You should be there. The Bible says, reading from the New King James Version, it says, Then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, took his garments and made four parts to each soldier a part, and also the tunic. Now, the tunic was without seam, woven from the top in one piece. They said, therefore, among themselves, let us not tear it, but cast lots for it. Who shall it be that the scripture might be fulfilled, which says, they divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Therefore, the soldiers did these things. Verse 25. Now there stood by the cross of Jesus, his mother, and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing by, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, that disciple took her to his own home. So today, I'd like to speak on the subject of take care of my family. Take care of my family. One way that you can take care of your family before you die is to make your intentions known through a will. Through a will. What is a will? In general, a will is a document that allows a testator, that is, the person making the will, to designate to whom his or her property and assets will pass after death. I'll read that again. In general, a will is a document that allows a testator, that is, the person making the will, to designate to whom his or her property and assets will pass after death. With the aid of a lawyer or a credible agency, your will can be typed, signed, and validated in the presence of two or three witnesses. So everyone should strive to get a will. That's a good thing to do to get your house in order. a matter of fact, that's the number one thing to do. However, if you don't go with a type will, the state of Tennessee allows a handwritten will, also known as a holographic will, which means all of it has to be written by hand, by you, and signed by you in the presence of two or more witnesses. And if you don't use a handwritten or holographic will, you can also use an oral will, which is also known as a deathbed will or a non will. And these wills are valid in Tennessee if they meet the right criteria. So if you hang with me through this series, I'm going to give you a handbook. It's going to have this information in it and practical ways to move you towards getting your house in order. But as far as a will is concerned, typically a will involves at least five people or five entities. A will will involve, number one, the testator. That's the person who is making the will. Now, testator sounds a lot like testament. So testator, testament speaks of will, the one giving the will. So when we read the New Testament... It's the new instructions or the new will of God, if you will, as opposed to the Old Testament. Now, all of these work together to form God's testament. But when we think of the new covenant, what Jesus purchased for us and how the old covenant was used to lead us to Jesus, they work together. But they reveal to us the will of God, the testament. So the testator is the one who initiates the will. But then secondly, you will have an, an executor of the will. Someone that the testator asks, designates to be the executive. So after the testator dies, the executive has the responsibility of sitting down and meeting with the family and all interested parties to execute the demands or the instructions of the will. But then thirdly, there is a trustee, and usually a trustee is someone that has been appointed when someone has a large estate, when they have stocks, bonds, and property, um, great amounts of money and investments. And so rather than their beneficiaries, which we'll talk about in a moment, maybe getting all of these resources all at once and not being capable of handling them, a trustee will hold these items in trust and disseminate them to the proper beneficiaries at the right time. For instance, in my research with this, um, I learned that Whitney Houston did not have a will. Uh, No, 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 she had a will, but her daughter, Christina, did not have a will. The thing about Whitney Houston's will, and, and, and she had an estate of millions of dollars, that her daughter, Christina, would be the number one beneficiary of her estate. But she got all of the money. So much was given to her that she couldn't handle the money. And then you had leeches who were coming in. And then she died under mysterious circumstances. And it just makes you wonder, had she had someone who could incrementally um, delve out the money at times where she could handle it. As opposed to being, I think at that time she was under 20. When she got millions of dollars given to her. And so a, a trustee. Is someone who will deal with the the, the resources in trust and disseminate them properly. And some people will put stipulations in the will for when their beneficiaries will get access to the resources so that a person doesn't become overwhelmed with all of these blessings and opportunities. So you have a testator, you have an executor, a trustee, and then you have a guardian. Because if a person passes and they have children, uh, or even if they have children under 18, or they may have um, someone in their home with special needs, they can write into their will who they want to take care of these people. So you need a guardian. Uh, When my wife and I made our first will, we uh, were going to Israel together. This was probably in the third year of the church and we were encouraged to make a will before we went to Israel. And at that time, we only had three children. And they were all under 18. We had two. And they were under 18. We had Dante and Krista. Chase and Karis were just images in, in our mind. They, they weren't here yet. <laughs> so now, before she goes to Rwanda, we need to make some adjustments and have some talks because our will has not been updated because we've had two children since that will, and the older two, really the older three now, they're over 18. Karis is 15, about to turn 16, so if something were to happen to both of us, then Dante would be the guardian now. Whereas before, it was your uncle, Gary Bell, and Aunt Alina, they were the guardians for y'all. But now you're a grown man, dog. (laughs) So you would look after your sister. And if you don't want to do that, Krista will do it. So, uh, (laughs) and another reason I got to meet with my wife. This stuff is convicting because she's the one that knows where all the documents are. She's the one that knows all the policies. And and God forbid, if something were to happen to my wife, man, I'd be struggling. Now, Now, where is this? Where is that? So what this document that we're putting together is going to do, it's going to list out where all this stuff is. So you know what drawer, what safe deposit box, what the access code is, what the PIN number is, all that stuff. We're going to help you as we try to help ourselves in this. Because one thing that was beautiful at Casilda's mother's funeral, I love it when I go to a funeral and they say that my mom, my dad had their affairs And the check came to be able to pay for the funeral and, and all of this, that they had their affairs in order. And the family isn't going to fight over who gets the house, who gets the car, who gets this, who gets that. Affairs are in order. Because when they're in order, that means you can grieve well. When stuff is in disarray and there are question marks, you can't even grieve well because if you got some family members that are out there, man. They're covetous. They're greedy. They're looking for an opportunity to take. And so, the last part of a will is that you have the beneficiaries, who will get these things. Now, um, most of your insurance policies will designate who the beneficiary is, or who they will, be, who the beneficiaries are. But in a will, for things not covered in uh, your life insurance policies, as far as your material and physical assets, it's good to have a will, whether it is written, handwritten, or even an oral will in the presence of witnesses. We need to have a will. So uh, as I mentioned, those are the five basic elements in general. Um, There are people who work for various agencies who can go deep into this stuff. Uh, I'm just trying to skim the surface to just give you a brief introduction to these things. Now. Even though, listen to this, Jesus did not write a will, he made his will known in an oral fashion. He wanted his family, namely his mother, to be taken care of. So he made his will known on how he wanted her to be taken care of. Why does she need to be taken care of? Because there's a strong chance she is a widow. You don't read about Joseph after the early scenes of Jesus coming uh, into the world, and and you don't read of Joseph much. So what is implied is that he dies, and Mary is a widow. You'll read about Mary and her other children, but you don't read about Mary and Joseph outside of the earlier portions of the gospel of Matthew and Luke. So a strong chance that Mary is a widow, and One way that we show our love for God is how we take care of widows and orphans. And as the eldest son, Jesus is the oldest son of Mary and Joseph, even though biologically uh, he did not come from Joseph. The Holy Spirit overshadowed Mary. And so there was this immaculate or miraculous conception. Jesus was born through the virgin without the aid of Joseph. But Joseph, as the Bible says, who was believed to be his father, earthly father, that they had other children after they had Jesus. And so Mary did not go on as a perpetual virgin, as church history from a a Catholic standpoint likes to say. The Bible says that her and Joe got together and had some children naturally. Yeah, that's right. Joe's like, I've been waiting this long? Yes, but empty way. But Jesus is the elder, and he wanted to make sure that his mother was taken care of. So as we dig a little bit into John 19 with our time remaining, I want to show you three things. Number one, I want to show you five pieces of clothes. Number two, I want to show you four women. And then thirdly and finally, I want to show you seven words. All right, let's get to it. Look at verse 23 again of John 19. It says then the soldiers when they had crucified Jesus took his garments and made four parts to each soldier a part and also the tunic. Now the tunic was without seam, woven from the top in one piece. They said therefore among themselves let us not tear it, but cast lots for it, whose it shall be that the scripture might be fulfilled. So five pieces of clothing. Where do I get that from? In all probability, Jesus would have had on five pieces of clothing as a Jewish male of that time. Number one, he would have had a turban on his head. Number two, he would have had a pair of sandals on his feet. Number three, he would have had an outer robe on his body. Number four, he would have had an under robe called the tunic and then number five, he would have had on a girdle, or what we would call undershorts. So he would have had five pieces of clothing. Well, the Bible says that these four soldiers each took apart part, and they saved the tunic to gamble. They took the four pieces, the turban, or if he didn't have a turban, he had a belt on, a sash, the outer robe, the sandals, and the girdle, they took these amongst themselves. And when they would take it, and I don't even really want to call them soldiers, they were really executioners. They were executioners. And Jesus' items were the spoils of their victory, of, of, of ruling over, triumphing over this victim now that has been crucified publicly. So they take his items to show that he has no power, they take his items as just saying we've won and we think very little of this person that's being condemned to die. These are their spoils or trophies of domination. But that fifth piece, this tunic, they said, wait a minute, let's gamble for that because this looks like somebody made it with care. Because this is like one piece of cloth is seamless from top down to the bottom. So they said, let's gamble for it. And unbeknownst to them, as they're living in that cruel moment, they are fulfilling Old Testament scripture from Psalm 22. So as Jesus is going through this, he's fulfilling scripture left and right. And so, by taking the clothes of the victim, this was part of the customary cruelty of the day. Which would mean, as they stripped Jesus in that moment, he would hang on the cross naked. Now, I know we see the movies and the pictures, and Jesus has a loincloth on. And maybe they do that for decency's sake. But from a history standpoint, They would give no decency or dignity to a crucified uh, uh, criminal. The goal was not only to kill them, but to embarrass them and violate them in every way. Because the crucifixion was like a modern-day lynching. To send a signal to everybody else, do not step out of line against the government, or this will happen to you. And so there our Savior is. Not only suffering and bleeding from these wounds, from the scourging, but he's also hanging naked. Now, here's the beautiful thing in that shameful moment. Jesus was stripped naked in order to clothe us with his grace and his righteousness. And he is called the last Adam. The first Adam sinned while naked and then to deal with his shame try to cover up with fig leaves i.e. religion and it still didn't touch his soul so what the first Adam did in nakedness that sent us into bondage and death the last Adam did through nakedness to bring us into freedom and glory with God nothing is wasted with God But then we move on to the four women. The four women. John 19, 25 lists four women. And these four women stand in contrast to the four executioners that we just read about. Four pieces of clothing that they each took. They gambled for the fifth piece, the tunic. But then you have four women who stand in contrast to these lost, evil men. We have Mary. The mother of Jesus. And the Bible lets us know that when Jesus was born and they were presenting him at the temple, that there was a prophecy made to Mary about her son. And Simeon prophesied that through this child, he's going to suffer, but a sword is going to pierce your soul as well. So nobody knows the pain of a child hurting like its mother. So mama's going to suffer as her son suffers, and what we see here is the fulfillment of that word of prophecy that the hour had come for her to experience a piercing of her soul. So much of her life was wrapped up into the life of her son. And as she's watching him there bludgeon. Hanging on the cross, paying for our sins. I'm sure her mind went back to when she gave birth to him. Because when she gave birth to Jesus, when he came into the world, watch this, he was covered with her blood. And now that Jesus is about to leave the world, he's not covered in mama's blood, he's covered with his own blood. And he's covered with blood so that he can cover us with forgiveness. Including Mary, his mother. Because in the Magnificat, when she's praising God, she thanks God for being her savior. Because although Mary was a virgin, she was not sinless nor perfect. She was the right vessel, but she still needed a savior. And the son she gave birth to, would be the one who would have to give birth to her spiritually so that she could enter into the presence of God through his blood. So there's so much going on here. Not only is there Mary, but there's Mary's sister. Possibly Salome, which we see her mentioned in another gospel. Because the women are close to the cross at this point. Later, they're going to back away from the cross. But right now, these four women are up close to the cross. Mary and then there's Salome. Coming from uh, some family members from the south. My people come from South Carolina. My wife got people in South Carolina. Got some country folk. We like the term Sally Mae. So when I read Salome, I see Sally Mae. She country. She probably cooks some good biscuits and grits. (laughs) Sally Mae. So if she's Mary's sister, that means she's Jesus' aunt, and Jesus is her nephew. Uh, Let's not divorce this from reality and, and spiritualize these things. No, this is family right here. And she's watching her nephew suffer and die. Then there's Mary, the wife of Clopas, or Cleophas. We don't know much about her at all. But here's what we do know. She's present. I said we don't know much about her, but she's present in that moment. You may not always know what to do in church, but can you be present? You may not always know what to do when somebody is suffering in your family, but can you at least be present? Just be there. You don't have to say nothing to try to fix it because you can't fix it. But sometimes just be there. This woman is there. Then there's Mary Magdalene. Jesus cast seven devils out of her. And she, along with other women, helped finance the ministry of Jesus. They would follow him with the men and the other male disciples. They had money to support him. And she was at the tomb and she was the first person that Jesus appeared to when he resurrected. So these women are close. And it took great courage for these women to stand by the cross in the midst of all of that violence, hatred, injustice, and ridicule. So it was courage, courageous for them to be there. But for Mary, she's like, that's my son. And I don't care who y'all are. That's my son. And I'm going to stay here. And so her sister and her homegirls are with her. So now I ask the question, where were the brothers? I mean, here are the sisters making a bold stand for Jesus. Where are the brothers who walked with him up close for three and a half years? Where are they? Or in hood vernacular, where they at? The Bible says, when Jesus was arrested, they all forsook him and fled. They all forsook him and boned out. Just like he said they would. He said, y'all going to all fall away tonight because of me. No, Lord, no. And then Pete, no, I, they might fall, not me. All right, bro. Before the rooster crow, <laughs> you're going to deny it three times. That you No. Judas rolls up in the garden. He's got the officers. Pete does grab his switchblade. Wham! (laughs) But then they all leave. Hmm. Men, our sisters are tired of standing by themselves. Stop talking a good game and play a good game. If you're going to show up, show up. If you say you're going to show up, show up. Don't leave the sisters by themselves. But I got to give it up to John because at least he came back. He left, but he came back because Jesus looks out and he sees John, the disciple whom he loved. Now, that's what John, how he describes himself as if Jesus didn't love the other disciples. But you know, Me and him, you know, come on, bruh. He loved everybody else, too. And Jesus sees him. And and here's the message that blessed my heart this week. If you have run away, it's time for you to come back. He ran, but he came back. If you're running from Jesus, man, it's time to stop that, kill that noise, and come on back. Come on back and identify with him in public. Stop being private for him. I mean public for him in private. I'm raising my hands in church. What you do out there in the world? Let's identify with Jesus. Let's carry our cross. Let's not be ashamed of the gospel. So he comes back to the cross. The Lord is telling somebody to come back. Why? Because there's an assignment for you. The Lord always got something for you and for me to do. But you won't know that if you don't come back and get near to him. Because they're they're close enough to Jesus for him to speak his will and for them to hear it. Because he's going to say to John, John, take care of my mother. That was his assignment. He came back to get that assignment. Now, he's going to be a beneficiary of that will, just like all of us are beneficiaries of the will of Jesus. We've been blessed with grace, mercy, righteousness, and every other spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. We're beneficiaries, thank God, of Jesus' death. But John had a unique assignment because Jesus is like, I can't give this assignment to my brothers who come from Mary and Joseph. Why? Because John 7 says they didn't believe in Jesus. So he says, I can't entrust mama to them heathens even though we're related by blood. So I got to entrust mama to a young man that I know loves God. Why? Because in the kingdom, spiritual relationships are of greater authority than your natural relationship. I know you don't like it, but it's right. Because everybody black ain't your brother. Everybody that's white ain't right. So in the kingdom of God, he's putting a family together, and we're linked by the blood of Jesus. And Jesus says, I need you, John, to take care of my mother. And John took her to his house that day. John had a house. Jesus didn't have a house to bequeath to his mother. Why? Because he didn't have any place to lay his head. He was an itinerant preacher to the max. He lived by faith. He was homeless, but he had a home. But John and Peter, them cats had homes. Jesus didn't say, man, you just got to not have a house when you follow me. No, you got to have a crib. Now use it for kingdom purposes. Take care of my mother. And then he says to mama, mama, this is your son. So on the cross, while dying, he has the wherewithal to think about the future of his family. Before I die, I want to make sure you're taken care of after I die. What is the will? Before I die, I want to make sure my family is taken care of after I die. So Jesus makes his will known with these seven words. Woman, behold your son. Then he says to John, behold your mother. This this set of words is the third statement that Jesus makes from the cross in the midst of the seven final statements that he makes. So as he's saying, Father, why have you forsaken me? I thirst. Uh, And all the other things he says, he says, but... John, I need you to take care of mama. Mama, this is your new son now. I want to be like Jesus, which means I need to take care of my family before I die so that after I die, they can go on well. And although the state of Tennessee may allow for an oral will or a holographic will, Some of us have the kind of assets we need to see a professional. We need to sit down with a lawyer. We we need to go to a reputable firm, someone to help us get our affairs in order. Because if you wait for tomorrow, tomorrow may never come. And last week I told you Martin Luther King, one of my heroes, was so busy with ministry that he did not leave a will for his family did not have a life insurance policy under the cloak of death for years because he was so driven and consumed by ministry. I get it. We get so driven and consumed by life. We don't have time to do these kinds of things. But we got to take time to do these things. And the time we take to do this will bless our posterity for years to come. Yeah, I don't want to be like Aretha Franklin. She didn't have a will. I don't want to be like Prince or Michael Jackson. They didn't have wills. I don't want to be like the great painter Pablo Picasso. He didn't have a will. The billionaire Howard Hughes didn't have a will. The singer Kurt Cobain didn't have a will. The rapper Tupac Shakur didn't have a will. Steve McNair didn't have a will. Heath Ledger didn't have a will. Let's go back. Abraham Lincoln didn't have a will. Let's come forward. Jimi Hendrix didn't have a will. And the godfather of soul, James Brown, didn't have a will. Marvin Gaye didn't have a will. Amy Winehouse didn't have a will. But the question is, will you have a will? Let's stand. We're going to help you, but you don't have to wait on us. You can make some calls this week. You can get online this week. You can begin getting your house in order. I didn't even talk about living wills and what would happen if you become incapacitated. You can't speak for yourself. There are things like that we also need to take care of. There are professionals who can help us with that. Um, I was speaking with someone not long ago, and um, I believe it was my wife's uh, manager yesterday. And she was saying how her father got to a place where he could not speak in his illness, and he was on his deathbed. But he had already made decisions through his living will as it pertains to how long he wanted to stay in a particular condition, and, and when it came time for them to do what was tough, to quote-unquote pull the plug, they were only following his wishes from the living will, which helped them cope with that a little bit better. Ah, let's pray, Daddy. Mm, even though for us as Christians, death is not a period, it's just a comma. And even though death for us is not a question mark, it's an exclamation point, it is the gateway into glory, you still call for us to be good stewards of the things you've entrusted to us. Because we are to live in anticipation as if you can come any day. But we're also to store up for our children and our children's children as if you may delay your coming. Would you help us to live with this kind of mindset without being double-minded? Thank you that we can come to church and hear truth. Get some encouragement on practical things that will help us in the long run. And that every Sunday doesn't have to be about some kind of feel-good sermon. Sometimes we need instruction. I know I need this, Lord. Help me to get my house in order better than what it is right now. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you that while you were on the cross, you were mindful of your mother. Thank you that you could speak and make your will known for her. Help us, Lord, as we love our families to do the things we need to do from a legal perspective to make sure they're good when we're gone. I know we don't think about it, God. But you tell us to number our days so that we may have a heart of wisdom. And it's wise for us to get our houses in order. So as we leave this place, but never, ever, ever from your presence, we just want to say thank you. And Lord God, we ask that you would bless us to be a blessing. That we would go forth in the city, in the fields, to let folks know who you are And who we are because of you. May we not be ashamed of the kingdom of God. Thank you for the local church. Thank you for this church. Continue to use this, Lord God, in these last and evil days. And we'll be very careful to give you all the praise. For we ask it all in Jesus' name and for his sake. And all of God's people said, amen. Did you get one thing out of this? Did you get one thing out of it? Did you get one thing? That, that helps me now. I want to make sure I'm not talking to the wall. Amen, amen. Put it into practice. Let's go. We're going to help you, but do what you can do too. Have a blessed day.